Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Judges, chapters 17 and 18. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. The last five chapters of the book of Judges is known as an appendix or a afterthought, or if you will, a PS. And it's in these last five chapters that we have two basically individual stories. Tonight we're going to look at one of them in chapter 17 through chapter 18. Next week we'll come back and look at the final story in chapter 19 through chapter 21. So in chapter 17 through 18, we have the story of the idolatry of the tribe of Dan. These next five chapters are absolutely fascinating to me, and I think that you'll find that they're fascinating to you also. In chapters 19 19 through 21, we'll talk about it the next time. We have the story of the war with Benjamin. Now, look in your Bibles in Judges chapter 17. Fast forward, if you will, please, to verse 6. If you're there, say amen. Notice in those days, there was no king in Israel for everyone did what was right in their own eyes. This is a very important verse. You should underline it and highlight it. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. You'll find this exact same verse. Don't look at it now, but you'll find this exact same verse in the last chapter, the last verse of this book. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Two times the exact same verse, word for word, is recorded here in the book of Judges. Now, many times when we hear this word or we hear this verse, I've heard it preached and I know that you have too. You, you, you hear this verse and you, you've heard it preached and you've heard it talked about and, and everyone that did right in their own eyes and you hear it preached from the context of morally. Morally, everyone was doing their own thing. Morally, everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. And certainly, let me say to you, that that is true. During the time of Judges, everyone was, you know, doing what was right in their own eyes. And we live in a time today where everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. Our our culture has lost its moral compass Our culture, I'll say that again because I think y'all will probably sleep. Our culture has lost its moral compass. Amen, saints? Isn't that true? It is unbelievable. I I can't even start talking about it right now. That's a whole other sermon. We've lost our moral compass. So we live in a time, we live in a day where everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes morally. But... 
here in chapter 17 and 18, this verse, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, does not speak to the morality of the culture. It actually speaks to the religiosity of the culture. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes religiously. So it's talking about the, the religion, the, the idol worship, the way that they approached God. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. If you understand that, say amen. That's important for you to understand. So here in chapter 17 and 18, it shows us just how bad things were religiously. Look at Judges chapter 17, saints, beginning in verse 1. If you're there, say amen. Now there was a man. From the mount, this this first couple of verses is fascinating. There was a man from the mountains of Ephraim, whose name was Micah, and he said to his mother, "The eleven hundred shekels of silver that were taken from you, and on which you put a curse, even saying it in my ears, Mom, I heard you. Here is the silver with me. I stole it." And his mother said. May you be blessed by the Lord, my son. Stop right there. We got to stop right there. You know, if you're, if you're pregnant right now and you're having a son, Micah's a great name. His name means who is like Jehovah. And this Micah is different than the minor prophet Micah. This is a different Micah here. This Micah is from the country of Ephraim from the hill country of Ephraim. And so what we have here is Micah, who went into his mother's purse, and he stole some money. And Micah said, Mom. And she said, Yes, dear. And Micah said, You know that 1,100 shekels of silver that was stolen? She says, Yes, Mikey, baby. That's her, that's her baby boy. She said, Yes, Mikey. He said, I took it. Now, keep in mind, you got to understand this here. If you were to, don't do it now. We'll look at it a little bit later. In verse 10 of this same chapter, we discover that 10 shekels of silver was the average annual salary. 10 shekels of silver was the average annual salary. So 1,100 shekels of silver is a lot of cash. That's a lot of money. It could have been her life savings. It could have been her retirement. So no wonder mom is upset because 1,100 shekels of silver is a lot of money. Now, I wonder if you're getting the scene here. 1,100 shekels of silver are missing. Mom is cursing the person who has the audacity to take her money. Can you imagine? And she's walking around the house, razzle-tazzle, you know, razzle-tazzle, I can't believe it. Oh, cursed be the one who I pray boils on their bodies and made their toes fall off. I mean, you know, she's cursing them, wishing the worst for them. Micah hears it. The Bible tells us that he hears it in his ears that she's pronouncing this curse on the person. Obviously, Micah's afraid. He came clean with his mom and said, I took it. And immediately on a dime, she turns and says, oh, may you be blessed, my son. So one second she's cursing before she knows that her son took the money. 
She's cursing and pronouncing curses on someone. And as soon as she says, Mom, I'm, I'm the culprit. Mom, I took the money. She goes, oh, blessings on my boy. Now, this is a trip to me because Micah's mom is like any mom. I mean, she really is. I mean, something happens when, you know, mom, you know, how many moms say, you know, I, you know, I wonder, you know, what is wrong with these kids today? What is, you know, what's going on with the kids today? Why don't the principals crack down on these kids in these schools? And why don't the cops arrest some of these kids that are out of control? And, you know, but when it's their kid, they say, oh, well, he's just going through a phase. Isn't it true? I actually heard this one time. I actually heard this. A mom was looking at a child having a temper tantrum with his mom, and she was irate. And she says, why, you know, why don't she do something about that? But then when her kid did the same thing, she said, oh, it's just a phase. She says, oh, Dr. Phil said we need to be mindful of their psyche. And now you know what I think about their psyche. Oh, no, now we can't hurt the kid's psyche. We can't correct them because we might, Dr. Phil and others, tell us we might hurt them and hurt their psyche. Look, if you're embarrassing me in public, I'm going to hurt your psyche. I don't know. Amen, parents. I don't know what to tell you, but I'm, I'm from the old school, see. And Gertrude would tear you up. You met my mother? Now, doesn't she look like a sweet little guy? Don't give her this tape, Okay. Doesn't she look like the sweetest little wonderful, wonderful woman? Gertrude was something else. And she would tear you up. She didn't, my mom didn't play around, but I thank God for that because my mother taught me many things. And the Bible says, you know what, if, if, if you, you know, apply the rod to your kids, you're not going to kill them. Then they may say you're killing them while you're beating them, which has happened. You're killing me. You're killing me. Oh, no, I'm not yet. <laughs> You see, so this mom here, what's happening here is a mom says, I'm pronouncing a curse on all those who stole my money. And then he says, well, mom, I did it. She said, oh, bless the Lord. Bless you, my son. I know mommy's baby didn't mean anything. You know, you just mommy little thief, she'd say. <laughs> you know how you can justify it when it's your children. Now, now, again, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Even here in the first two verses, we can see how far the people had gotten away from the Lord. This woman's son is stealing from his mom. And now the mom is justifying it. Notice in verse 3. So when he had returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son to make a carved image and a molded image. Now, therefore, I will return it to you. Thus, he returned the silver to his mother. And then his mother took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to the silversmith, and he made it into a carved image and molded image, and they were in the house of Micah. The man Micah had a shrine. This word shrine in Hebrew is house. So what it's going to go on to tell us is that Micah had a house within his house for his shrine, for his idols. Interesting. Micah had a shrine, a house, and made an ephod and household idols. And he consecrated one of his sons 
who became his priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did right in his own eyes. So Micah gives the money back to his mom. And she said, well, actually, son, I was planning to give the money to you so you could make a false god. Mommy wants you to have a false god made of wood and covered in silver. She said, I wanted you to have this idol, but but no problem. Just go ahead and keep the money. And he says, no, mom, I can't keep the money. Then she took the money back from him and she took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to the silversmith who made an idol. Interesting. Now, the making of idols and bowing down to them is difficult for me to understand. And we don't have this in our culture. It's difficult for us to understand but it's also difficult for God to understand. In your homework, I want you to go read this. It's in Isaiah chapter 44. It says, and it's God saying, basically, I'll just kind of sum it up for you. God is saying in Isaiah chapter 44, how is it that a person will chop down a tree and take part of the tree and make an idol and cover it with gold and worship it? And then take the other part of the tree and put it in the fire and cook his dinner on it. How is it that you worship part of the tree and burn the other part? God is saying that doesn't make any sense. Idolatry is not something that even God understands. He says, how do you take a tree and, and you cut up the tree, you use half of it to make an idol, and you use the other half of it to cook your dinner? God doesn't understand that. Idolatry, we don't understand it. But I think in our culture, we do it too often. Except our idols are parked in our garage. And and, and they have, you know, three letters on the back, BMW. Or our idols are made of brick with four bathrooms, 29 bedrooms. You know, our idols are different. You know, it was Augustine who said this, quote, idolatry is worshiping anything that ought to be used or using anything that ought to be worshiped. I like that. And it was David who said in Psalm 115, verse 4 through 8, David said, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. Eyes they have, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses they have, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet they have, but they walk not. Neither speak through their throats. And they that make them are like unto them. So is everyone who trusts in them. So here we have a very pitiful situation. You have a son who steals a mother's money. The mother knows about it. She sees no problem with demon worship, decorating with false gods, an entire family who's idolaters. Micah adds another god to his collection of gods. And now he says, hey, son. And now she says, hey, son, I, I," you know, he, he says to his son, actually, I want you to be a priest. And he makes him an ephod. Now, an ephod is a priestly garment. It is a garment that is wore by the high priest only in the temple. So he's got his own priest. He's got his own house of gods, and this, you know, this is the textbook dysfunctional family. I mean, you think you got a dysfunctional family. 
This is a dysfunctional family. Everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. And then notice in verse 7. Now there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah of the family of Judah. He was a Levite and he was staying there. The man departed from the city of Bethlehem in Judah to stay where he could find a place. And then he came to the mountains of Ephraim to the house of Micah as he was journeyed. And Micah said to him, where do you come from? And so he said, I am a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, and I am on my way to find a place to stay. And Micah in verse 10 said to him, dwell with me and be a father and a priest to me, and I will give you 10 shekels of silver per year. See, a suit of clothes, clothes and your sustenance. And so the Levite went in. And then the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became like one of his sons to him. So Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became, circle that, his priest, and lived in the house of Micah. Notice his priest, not the Lord's, his. Then Micah said, now I know that the Lord will be good to me since I have a Levite as a priest. Now, stop right there, give me your attention. The Levites were set apart, consecrated to be worshipers and workers in the tabernacle. The Levites were assistants to the priest and any, listen, any Levite could help in the temple, but only the priest, the priest had to come from the line of Aaron or a family known as the Kohatites. We, we dealt with this in the past. Only the line of Aaron could be actual priest. Now, in Numbers chapter 3, verse 10, it lists the cities that the priests or that the Levites lived in. But it's interesting because Bethlehem is not one of them. So this priest is out of place. This priest is not under any authority. This priest, as we'll find out later, his name is Jonathan. We'll find out in chapter 18. So this guy, this priest, is a maverick. He is a lone ranger, and he comes to Micah's house, and Micah said, hey, what are you doing here? And the man said, well, I'm a priest. I'm Reverend Bishop, doctor, minister, you know. And Micah went, oh, great, man. You know, this is my lucky day. Live with me and be my priest, and I'll give you 10 shekels of silver or a year's salary of food and clothing. The Levite said, great, I'm out of work, looking for a job. I'll do it. Now, remember, Micah appointed his son as priest, but now this new guy has come along, and he's from the right tribe and the right pedigree, and now Micah makes this new guy the priest. But notice in verse 13, look in your Bibles again. Micah says, I know God's going to bless me because I got my own priest. I got the real deal, he's saying. I got, if you will, my own religion. And that's what he's doing here. Now, what Micah is doing is what many people do today. He is developing, here it is, his own backyard religion. He's developing his own backyard church. He is developing his own designer faith. He's got a priest. He's got an ephod. He's got an idol. 
He thinks, man, I'm in good shape. You know, in this, despite the fact that God said that you shall have no other gods before me. The question here is not whether the priest is actually a priest. He really is actually a priest. We can prove that in chapter 18. So being a priest, he understands and knows that God said, you will have no other gods before me. And he should have been the one to tell Micah that. And Micah actually knew that. So this guy is developing his own backyard religion. A little of this, a little of that. You know, what I think is right. A little bit of, you know, this from the church should be. And voila, I've got my own religion. Michael, Micah's got his own little religion, and it's convenient because the priest lives in his house. Now, that's convenient. The priest lives in his home. He didn't have to fight the traffic on the belt line. The priest lives right in his home. He found a way to have church in the convenience of his home. He could have been thinking, man, why make the effort to go all the way to Shiloh when I have church right here at home? Hey, sounds like a good idea. We can focus on the family. Have a radio talk show. You know, we can do our thing right here at home. Church is about the family, so let's have church at home. Now, keep in mind, understand something. The only place that God designated for the people to worship him is in Shiloh. The only place is where the tabernacle was located, was in Shiloh. Shiloh was the only place where the families were to come and worship God. But Micah said, come on, God, that's a hassle. It's too far from where we've relocated. Any reason will do. And as a pastor, you know, I've heard all kinds of reasons why people can't go to the house of the Lord. There are many, many people who are developing their own backyard religion. I've heard all kinds of reasons. I, people have told me, you know, hey, how you doing? I mean, you know, I haven't seen you in church in a long time. You know, well, you know, we got Little League. I'm like, well, Little League, every Wednesday and Sunday we have Little League. Really? And you don't see that to be a problem? Well, you know, we'll get over Little League with the kids and, you know, do all these things with the kids. I've had people tell me, uh, we, we, I said, hey, why don't you come to church on Wednesday night? Oh, well, you know, we, we got to go catch a movie. I'm like, you got to go catch a movie? Well, you know, our bowling league meets on Wednesday night. I mean, we, you know, and believe it or not, someone recently told me I can't come to church on Wednesday night because I got to catch an episode of American Idol. I'm like, hello, does that not strike you as a little odd? You mean you got to, and I'm not so sure about any show named American Idol. And all of America's like, yeah, 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 American Idol. Come on, man. Any old reason will do why you can't go to where God has designated for you to be in Shiloh. So they're developing their own backyard religion, designing their own faith, and it won't work in a time of trouble. This is the problem. You know, call on your backyard gods when real tragedy strikes your home. Call on your gods when cancer strikes your family or death strikes your family. Call on your backyard gods when mental illness strikes your family or your husband says to you, you know, I'm leaving and your children are forsaking you. Call on your backyard gods. They don't work. Remember 9-11 makes me think of 9-11. Did you notice church attendance was up 
for about a month. Why? Because when the World Trade Centers came crashing down, designer faith and backyard religion can't help you. You know, we saw the beginning of an awakening around that time. I don't know if you've noticed, but there was a lot of talk about God. There was a lot of people going to prayer. I mean, people, churches were having prayer services, you know, every day of the week. And there was this huge awakening happening, and it happened for about a month, and then people went back to sleep. Why? Because backyard gods and designer faith doesn't work when difficulty comes, and listen, it will come. False gods don't work. Just like David said, they have eyes, but they can't see, hands, but they can't feel. They've got mouths, but they cannot speak. False gods don't work. And that's why it's perplexing to God and should be perplexing to you. Any false god, there's only one true and living God. His name is Jehovah. Amen, saints? And one true and living God, and he is the only God that can come to your rescue when you really need help. And so here, Micah, he gets his priest, he gets the ephod, he gets his own religion. And then notice he says in verse 13, he says that I know the Lord will be good to me. Now, isn't that deceptive? He's deceived. Now, I can get my own God's. I can worship my false gods, and I know that God will bless me. I can design my faith the way I choose. People approach church and Christianity nowadays like a buffet bar. You know, I have a little of this. I like a little worship. You know, I like my worship just about like this, not too Pentecostal, not too dead. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light. Let me be a salt.